Listener Production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. This episode of The Wellness Collective, we are speaking with Samantha Wills all about her new book, From Gold to Dust. We talk about her progression of small business, where she went from being a tiny little market stall through to in big and major department stalls right across the world. Um, we talk about her success and becoming a apparent overnight success, but also why she decided to quit while she was ahead. And then we focus also on her health, her endometriosis and freezing of her eggs. You're going to love this episode of The Wellness Collective. Well, if it isn't Natalie Kringudis. <laughs> right. Hello. Yes, well. In the flesh. It's me. In person. Mm -hmm. Surviving school holidays. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Just. We went away for a few days, which I've got to say, breaking up the school holidays by going away, even for a couple of days, it's my hack. Yes. Because otherwise you just feel like it's Groundhog Day. We went away. It's still Groundhog Day. Oh, and then then you get like this like PTSD a little bit. Not to make, I'm not making light of PTSD, but honestly, triggering you get triggered by the idea that you're in COVID lockdown and then your kids are around all the time. Yeah. Like, oh, we're back there. But no, yeah. it's no, just school not. holidays. It's just, and cold and raining. Mm. And it's rained a lot. Has it? Yes. It's been cold. Mm. We went camping and it was cold. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. here we go. Hey, um, today we're going to talk to someone who's kind of, and you know a lot about because you've been following for a long time, all about kind of a business growing, growing, growing. And I love this concept of starting a business like from a seed. Yes. Because personally, the idea of taking on a business that's like a Oh, I was like going to say, how else do you thing? start a business? Well, no, that like, and something <laughs> small now, like, that going can with this? grow, okay, yes, you know, yes. like I, I think that's, for me, that's the only way I could get my head around making anything that was something. Yes. Because I'm, I'm saying this because when we were away, we we're in a country town and my husband was like, maybe we could open a trampoline centre here. And I was like, yeah, oh my God, how would you even do that? <laughs> Why would you even do that? Well, so we can move there. It's really nice. Doesn't have one, but that would be a lot of things to learn. It's not like just starting something. Anyway, I digress. Right. Well, let's have our guests introduce themselves mm-hmm. today because we've got them sitting there patiently. <laughs> Samantha, thank you for joining us. Do you want to introduce yourself for people who might not know of you? Oh, hi. Thanks, guys. Um, my name is Samantha Wills, and I am the founder and creative director of. Samantha Wills. I'm very modest and like to name a lot of things after myself, apparently. Um, but I had a, a jewellery company for 15 years, uh, Samantha Wills Accessories, and decided to close that. I said it was 21 on my dining table. Wow. And that 15 years and closed that at the start of 2019. So I'm technically unemployed, guys. So if, you, if you're looking for biz advice, like... <laughs> well, I personally, I've watched your journey over many years and I remember seeing a quote I don't know, a little while ago, a couple of years ago, and it was something along the lines of um, being a 10-year overnight success. And I was like, it totally resonated because people see the shiny version and that's Mm. okay, that's fine. But, you know, there's so many wins and fails that come with business that I just, that quote has never left me. But I want to hear a little bit more before we talk about the business side of things. I want to hear a little bit more about your childhood because you've written a book and it talks about lots of things and this is one of the things, but we we all come from somewhere. (laughs) We do. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about the progression of not just how you got to opening your business, but a little bit about your childhood as well. 
Yeah, so I'm from Port Macquarie, which is a small town on the mid-north coast of New South Wales, a bit like Summer Bay. Um, (laughs) I grew grew up in the 90s, you know, in high school in the 90s, and it was at a time before the internet was really a thing, which makes me sound like I'm about three million years old. Oh, you know what? Nat and I are very familiar with before the internet. It's fine. What a time. I miss it, actually. You know, I miss it too. And yet having small children and they go, let's Google it, you think, no, you get a book. Get, get out yeah, the Britannica. Yes. Yeah. Mm. yeah, anyway. So, no, don't feel like you're in a minority there remembering what, <laughs> what the internet you. was, pre-internet life I was like. <laughs> but, yeah, I grew up, you know, I'm an only child, so I grew up, um, I've always been creative. I remember, you know, I have to credit my, my parents because when I had my room at home growing up, it, all the other kids, you know, weren't allowed to put blue tack on their wall or weren't allowed to put posters and things up. My parents were like, you can do any creative things you want in this room. So I'd be painting murals one day, hanging, you know, troll dolls off the ceiling the next. And they really allowed me this creative freedom in there, which, you know, at the time I didn't obviously didn't really think about, but I look at my career now and it's really allowed me to have not a lot of barriers around that, that thought process. So um, my parents always had small businesses, but, you know, just very... Uh, humble small town folk and you know I, I reference growing up in the 90s because in a small town all you knew is what you saw and I mm. saw very you know blue collar hard-working people and to me I thought creativity was what you did as a hobby I didn't you know I didn't even know a creative director was was a job or a career path um, so I thought I was just destined to have you know jobs my whole life and do my creativity as, as a hobby. Love that. I'm also an only child. I feel you. <laughs> yeah. Apparently we have like, I don't know, horns growing out of our head or something. People right. always are fascinated by it, aren't they? they fascinated. Really Did you like growing up as an only child? Look, you know, I just You don't know up. any different. Well, you don't. But the thing is, I always had kids around and I had parents who I had a really good relationship with and always took me places. So I think I experienced right. a lot more as an only child than I might have if I'd had a pile of brothers and sisters mm. and there wasn't room for everybody. Mm. There you go. Yeah. You? No, I hated it. <laughs> I, I would make, you know, other people would make up imaginary friends and oh, yeah, I'd make I had up one. imaginary yeah. brothers and sisters. Mm. Um, I begged my parents for an older brother. My mum's like, that ship has sailed. <laughs> <laughs> also, you can't have an older one. You can only have a younger one once you're born. Yeah. That's what she said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is an impossibility, my friend. Oh, that's so, so cute annoying. though. I feel like now as, you know, as I went into adulthood, I chose my family. So my friends who I, you know, who are long-term friends of mine, I'm like, they're my chosen siblings now. Mm. That's how I look at it. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. So then how did the business start? Let's just jump ahead of 10 years, 2015, <laughs> how many years? And I guess you, you tell us, how did that start? <laughs> <laughs> well, when I was um, 11, mum put me into beading classes in our local hometown. So I really learned the basis of jewellery making at, at 11. And, you know, I'd have jewellery that I'd sell in the playground at school and kind of, you know, always had my finger in the pie of jewellery for, for some reason. And then I moved to Sydney when I was 20 and just got a normal retail job and then started, it busted my knee pretty badly and couldn't work for six weeks. So to pass the time, I was like, I'm just going to make some jewellery to, you know, kind of pass the time as a creative outlet. And started stockpiling this jewellery on the dining room table. So I had like oven trays just, you know, <laughs> overflowing with kind of these statement earrings. And um, my friends would come past and my flatmate would come home with friends and be like, oh, you know, can I buy these? Can I buy these? Can you bring this jewelry over to my house and I'll invite my friends over and kind of this very, you know, like Avon or Nutramedics yes. parties. <laughs> it was very much like that. So, you know, this organic kind of party plan business started to grow and, you know, I'm still working full-time on my retail job, doing this in the night times. 
Then I started selling down at Bondi Beach Markets, which at the time, you know, in 2003 at this point was quite a big launch pad for Australian designers. But I definitely didn't see myself, you know, still to me, it was a hobby that, you know, I was doing on the side. And then a friend offered me a showroom wall at Australian Fashion Week. And I was like, oh no, like it's just a hobby. Like I, you know, yeah. I'm not, I can't do that. And so I actually t- declined the, the spot. And then this boy that I had a really big crush on at the time um, came past my market stall one day with his new girlfriend. And I was just devastated. And he kind of looks across the table. He's like, so this is your little hobby you were telling me about. <gasps> and I was like, you know, I'll show you a hobby and um, <laughs> <laughs> more expletives, but I was like, I'll show you this little hobby. And so my mate who had asked about the fashion week stand, I said, Hey, is that what's still available? Because if it is, you know, I'll take it and ended up writing $17,000 worth of orders at this fashion week wow. show. And, you know, at 22, I'm like two week delivery, two weeks, no worries, no worries, no worries. And then by the end I was like, Holy shit. Like I've just promised, you know, $17,000 worth of jewelry in two weeks. So, you know, quit my, real job. And I say that in a very traditional sense and was like, all right, I'm going to throw everything I have at at building this business. Amazing. I love that you said real job though. I had that exact conversation with my friend the other day. I said, oh gosh, you know, I'd like, maybe I need a real job. And she goes, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, you get sick pay and holiday pay and stuff like that. And regular hours and me, I don't know. I just seem to float along and money comes along. I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> it's can't have it both ways. Well, being a creative person, I think, is the crux of it, isn't it? You but know, I think it's accepting and understanding that. And I don't think yeah. there's been enough conversation in time about that either. Whereas we look at, like you said, the real job as being this, yeah. you know, corporate establishment yep. or a nine to five. Mm. There's a majority of people, not a majority, there's a portion of people that are making it work. More and more. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's just a, a shift in the way that we look at it. You can still have those things. You just got to put the money away yourself yes. to give yourself the sick yeah, pay. No, no, I'm, I'm all right <laughs> with it. But yes, you're right. It would be nice, wouldn't oh, it? Oh, dear. Um, also too, Samantha, I love that your driver was the guy. Yes. You know, that love you that. were like, hey, way. screw you. I'll show you. I'm going to stick my earrings on that wall and show you what I can yeah. do. Yeah. You know, I, I, I even say in the book, I'm like, it's funny what fuels us, mm. isn't it? Like, you know, we think that, you know, these kind of next steps come in this golden envelope of like, here's the opportunity. I nah. Was like, no, they come in like the form of heartbreaks. They come in the form of setbacks and, and all these things. And, you know, really, like as much as it hurt, it made me mad. And I was like, and I think the other point to that was, you know, when he's like, so this is your little hobby. I was like, hang on, that's actually how I'm talking about it too. So how am I mm. expecting people to take it seriously if that's my language? So it was a, a real big kick in the pants to, to keep moving. I have to take my hat off to someone finding the right time to sell a business. Mm. And in the peak of the business or in, I guess, the height, because you kind of don't know until top of the after hill. the fact. Yes, the top of the hill. <laughs> but how did you come to that decision? Was there other stuff going on or you just were like, this is it? Also, how big did it get? From Bondi Markets. Yeah, well, so we didn't sell. We, we decided to close. Um, well, I decided to close. So it got, you know, I relocated to New York. I was in New York for 10 years. We had product on Sex in the City. We were, you know, through major retail in the States. And I think, you know, as a creative person, it's your lifeblood. You live off that creative energy. And by 2016, so 13 years in at this point, I designed 11,000 pieces of jewelry. Wow. And I think that, you know, there's this little creative flicker in your soul that when that, you know, starts to dim, it's not really an uncommon feeling at that point. You know, I'm like, oh, it's just a creative block. It'll pass. It'll pass. And so I kind of kept pushing six months in, you know, a year in, a year and a half. 
So by the time I got to, you know, the start of 2018, I still hadn't, it was almost like completely out. And when I say that, I mean that the light for designing jewelry had, you know, I was designing jewelry with my hands and not my heart. And so I, you know, wanted to make some space to, you know, try and work out what was next. And it was only at that time, so it was two years of literal inner turmoil of like not feeling like I was just trying to get this creative energy back essentially. And when that wouldn't come back and so I was like, I, I went up to an upstate, essentially meditation retreat thing in, in upstate New York. And I went up there with the view to be like, how do I re-harness this energy? And it was up there that I, I received a very, very clear thought that it's like, it's it's time to close. After two years of, of this inner turmoil, it was as simple as it's time to close. And I was kind of like, all right, well, what does that mean? So you know, every day for the next two weeks after that, I didn't tell a single soul. And I woke up and, you know, I often talk about a, a feeling filter and then a thinking filter. And I woke up the next morning, I was like, I pretended I'd already closed the company. And I didn't ask myself what I thought about it. I asked myself how I felt about it. And because I think when you put things through the thinking filter, it's it has to be logically explained. And there was no logical way I could explain this, this because, you know, the business was in growth. It was a very healthy business, but my passion just was no longer in it. And that was completely feeling-based. And so I asked myself how I felt about it and it felt like the right thing to do. And yeah, we we did a six-month closure and closed the doors for good on January 11th, 2019. And how many people were working with you? At that point, about 45. Mm, so that was big too, because for you to decide yeah. it was that was it for you, it was also it for them. Absolutely. And I think that I write that in the book about the, the guilt and the fear of having to, you know, tell them of this decision. And, you know, I, as I say, I, it was the most gracious surrounding that I, you know, I, that I thought I was like, these people are just going to hate me. I'm going to have to go in and obviously, you know, tell them why I got to this decision. I just assumed that they would just, you know, jettison me from their <laughs> address books. And every single one of the women in that room and in that company turned around and said, we understand, we support you, we admire your decision and just this like holding of just the most beautiful graciousness. So yeah, it's, it was the biggest decision of my life, but I hand on my heart can say it was the calmest decision I've made. Beautiful. Wow. Beautiful. That's impressive. It's very impressive and inspiring. <laughs> I feel like it's a bit weird to sort of change lanes now, but we are going to charge. I want to talk a little bit about your health journey. <laughs> And, you know, you very have been very public more recently with your health as a woman, living with endometriosis. What has been your experience with that? And did that diagnosis play a part in the closure of the business as well? No, so I didn't actually get the diagnosis till maybe like 10 months after we closed. Right. So I think, you know, as a very common thing, which I'm sure is not uncommon to anyone that we always put our health or our needs, at the, I'll get to that when I finish this or when yeah. I get the presentation done or when I do X, Y, and Z. And um, for me, in 2015, I found out uh, my long-term partner was was cheating on me. And so when that relationship broke down, I decided to go off the pill just to give my body a break. And that was really the unearthing of my body not responding how it usually did. Or from my memory of having said that, I'd been on the pill for all of my adult life at this point. So my monthly cycle became much more painful, much more aggressive, and it progressively got worse very, very quickly. And as all good non-medical professionals do, <laughs> I jump on Google to try and you know find a get the answer. Self-diagnosis, but you know, a diagnosis that reflects everything I think that I'm doing right. So it's like, oh, you know, as you get older, this happens, and then this, you know, and I was like, great, it's all normal, normal, normal. 
and, you know, would numb my body with up to 20 neurofin at a time, like not a time time, but like, you know, within close succession to try and keep moving forward. And I got angry at my body. I cursed her. And, you know, every month she's screaming out to me for help. And I, I didn't even have the empathy with my own body to listen to her. And um, subsequently found myself, you know, on an operating table and it was stage four endo. And they found two fibroids the size of oranges, which is a relief in one way, but then you feel a lot of shame in another for, you know, your body was talking to you the whole time. And, and I just literally turned my back on her. So mm. I think closing the business finally allowed me to be out of excuses for getting myself into a um, OBGYN office and seeing what this was. Mm, I think it's such a common story as well. And we're all just so often told that our symptoms as women are normal when they're not, Mm -hmm. you know. But also too, I think even knowing that it's something... It's still overwhelming. Like, where do you begin? I mean, I've been through how many episodes of The Wellness Collective and we've talked about all the things, but I know when it comes to my own health, sometimes I think, hang on a minute, I I, I could be doing something, but what something, Mm. you know? So you do have to listen, but it's difficult to necessarily put your finger on what the right bit is. Yeah, And I think too, like if you do get to the point of going in to see a medical professional and especially with endometriosis, I say especially because that's what I've been studying myself, but it's not uncommon. You know, it's one in 10 Mm. women are affected. There's no cure for it. And there's not a lot of research to date on it. And I think, you know, a lot of women, when I shared it publicly, contacted me and were like, like I'm talking like thousands of, of messages, without an exaggeration, thousands of messages of women saying, you know, I went in to see a doctor. They told me, take more neurofin. They told me, oh, it's probably just a heavy period. Like, so I think once you get to that point, like you say, Cecilia, you go in and you talk to someone and then they dismiss it. Mm. And then you're kind of like, all right, well now. Now what do I do? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's really important and powerful that we need to be normalizing it. And and I think putting the trust back in ourselves, like, hey, it's, I know something's not right. I'm going to keep pushing until I find it. And one of the things I say in the endo conversation is sharing our resources. Like Dr. Wan in, in Bondi was my surgeon and she was brilliant. And I'm like, let's share the resources of people that are listening and people that create this safe space for, for what we're needing. Mm, I know actually I read something yesterday that because March this year was Endometriosis mm-hmm. Awareness Month, but the federal government has just funded three new research projects into endo. Yes. So, and that, that, that looks like it's going to be really important. Absolutely. And hopefully three different, you know, places will come up with a lot more, you know, ideas. I think the key with endo is that it, women wait too long for a diagnosis, in mm. my experience in clinic. They wait too long and their symptoms are dismissed as being a normal part of a period or yeah, a cycle. Yep. And certainly now, like if I reflect back over, I've been treating women's health for 15, 16 years now, it's come a long way, even though it doesn't feel like it has because we're experiencing this now. Mm. I've watched it for 15 years and at least now we ask why, whereas once upon a time, if that was the way it was, you just would have been prescribed the pill. There was no investigation. And I think the other issue is that we're often seeking help of a GP when we need to speak to it. We actually need to be speaking to our gynecologist. And we've had this conversation many times, but for those that are maybe newly listening, I think that's a big gap because it's not your GP's job the GP will give you the best solution with the means that they have, but they're not an expert in hormones. So they're not going to sit there and go, oh, let's test your hormones and have a look. And even if they do, they don't necessarily know how to read that. Does it pick it up if you do a hormone test? No, no, but you can, can no, not really. But you can look at like there are more advanced tests that are coming through, like a Dutch test, which 
from an integrative perspective, you would look at how someone's using their hormones, not right. just what their hormones are doing, which would then, you could pull a few pieces down. You could go, because you can't diagnose endometriosis unless, unless you have you a laparoscopy. Look. So mm. the thing is you can pull some symptoms down and you can go, okay, you've got enough of these for us to go. And often elevated estrogen is a factor. Okay. Um, and so then you can go, all right, I think a laparoscopy is a good idea. But once upon a time, it might take someone 12 years, whereas now I think the average is still uh, still a fair amount of time. It's mm. still, you know, up to eight years, that, that they say. Yeah. Um, and it's also because we probably don't believe even young women when they're experiencing symptoms. Mm. But I think the one thing that you can always do is if you've had symptoms and you have children or your mother has had symptoms of that, then don't Look hesitate to really yeah. go in and say there's a family history. I think that's where yeah. we also, fail a bit. Okay, so what treatment then did you get advised to follow? How did you tackle it? Yeah, so I had the lap, the lap operation just before COVID hit and then now I wait. So I'm about to go back for my post-year. I say my, my uterus is getting her portrait taken once again. So <laughs> nice. She gets the, yeah, she gets an annual photo session because, you know, there is no cure for it. it. It is about monitoring it and depending on what growth rate that you personally have. Mm. But in that case, sometimes the pill, like I'm on, I got the Marina IED um, instead, which is not for everyone, but for me, it changed how I could show up in my life. So um, that was one treatment method. The pill is also another treatment method, which is often prescribed, you know, and that's how it masks it. So mm. then it, it's a double-edged sword in so many ways. And I think being able to have the transparency of, of it as a base level um, is just so powerful. So we need to be allowing our bodies the freedom in some capacity to talk to us about what it needs without it being medicated to mask those things. I think also I would say to patients at that point, sometimes you need a break in the weather as well mm. to collect yeah. yourself. Yeah. Like how can I, I've just been through this experience, all of these experiences, I'm exhausted mm. and then now, now they're giving me a diagnosis. Now the thing with that too is it's always been there. That's the thing. We often at the point of diagnosis, we think fall apart a, because yeah, it's like it's you've actually been confirmed. It's like, well, actually <laughs> just gen- be gentle with yourself because it's actually already been there. Nothing's changed. You just know what it is right. now. Um, and then looking at the other things that you can do um, that might be impacting <laughs> yeah, it from an external true. perspective. Mm. But it is difficult because you can't diagnose it unless you, you actually have a laparoscopy to do that. I just started laughing because I remembered that when I had my daughter, I had a land Caesar and while they were doing what they were doing, she said, oh, you've got a bit of endometriosis there. I thought, oh, okay, I forgot about it. <laughs> You just remembered now? Just remembered. Oh, you are so funny, Cecilia. You're not having any more well, children. No, no. But which means I know we're running out of time, but let's quickly talk I guess about it. was only mild, was my point. Right. You know, it's well, never really given me uh, huge problems. So that's mm. true. And you've got yeah. two beautiful children. But now you are going through the process of freezing your eggs. And what I really love is that you're sharing that publicly because yeah. there's not a lot of conversation about this. A lot of women, women are very curious and. Um, what's been nice is your vulnerability, I think, in sharing that to really help other people. Quickly talk to us about where you're at with that. When they diagnosed, well, when they were like, you need to go into operation for your endo, I was actually going in to ask about egg freezing. Right, so okay. that had to get postponed. Just go for a one-stop shop arrangement, <laughs> I think is <laughs> like, usually the way to approach it. Yeah, just while, while you're there. there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
So yeah, so I, I froze them in December, which is also the same week that I read the audio for my audio book. So it makes for quite an emotional read when you're like <laughs> yeah. almost in the morning and reading in the Arvo. But yeah, it's, you know, my decision process around it at this point was like, I still don't know if I want to have children. I, I haven't decided either way. Um, and I'm very much about giving women choice. That's my entire thing. I want to empower women to have their own choices as much as possible. So yeah, so I've gone through the rounds. Um, I got five good eggs. Uh, you know, I asked every doctor and nurse and the, the thing is, is that a good number? And they're like, you know, there's no good number. No, by every number. I don't want to hear number. that. It's I want quality. someone to say, yes, it's a good so, number. <laughs> totally. Like you got it. So yeah. So I, you know, I wanted to share that. I, I wanted to share mainly around the factors, you know, at 39, I thought I would know, but I don't. And I know that, you know, if there's something that weighs heavily on you in any way, it also weighs heavily on others. So I just wanted to give voice to that because I, I hadn't read a lot about it myself where people hadn't made that decision by that age. Mm, I think it's important. And I think if you're not sure you want to have children, um, it's a great thing to do. I deal with women every day that are heartbroken in their late 40s that if they had have done that years before, they, they wouldn't would be in that same position. So chance. I think, yeah, absolutely. Before we let you go, a couple of things. We, I do want to let everyone know where they can find your book. But what's next for you? Is there, yeah. you're saying you're unemployed? And I'm no, fairly no. sure there's this creative streak that, that needs to be fulfilled. Won't stay like that forever, <laughs> yeah. methinks. Um, no, so, you know, I launched the Samantha Wells Foundation in 2016, but we've just relaunched it uh, this week, actually. So it's now the home to, um, you know, our online education program, which um, is an upcoming masterclass. There's a creative workshop on there. So if, if the book is kind of the story and the journey and the human element, then the foundation is the tangible elements about helping women, specifically women in business and creative entrepreneurs. Spending a lot of time, yeah, facing that. I love it because in Australia, oh, where I, we don't have a lot of this, it's well, very, yeah. I can rattle off three or four friends of mine that are in that exact position mm. where they've got a side hustle and all of a sudden it's it's quite big mm. and yeah. it's a lot to manage. So, yeah. yeah. And when it's yeah. just you doing all the all the everythings. Totally. It's, yeah. um, you can only stretch yourself so far. So, well done. So, the book is called Of Gold and Dust and available, I'm assuming, at all good bookstores and no, online. Not the, not the bad <laughs> not ones. Not the bad ones. No. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's available at all majors and online and we ship internationally through Book Depository as well. Perfect. So, everybody will be able to access that. And Sweet. I know. It's mm. very, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Oh my gosh, thank you guys for providing such an important platform. I think the conversations you facilitate are so needed and so important. So thank you for having me on. Thank you. It's always interesting when you can just fit so much into one episode. There was a lot there. Mm, imagine finding yourself in New York. New York is one of those places, isn't it, where people just find themselves all of a sudden they're selling things to Macy's. What? <laughs> like, <laughs> How awesome, though. But, but it happens. I know. It's, like it sounds like a fairy really? tale, but... Yeah, anyway, amazing. And I love too that that opportunities come your way and really the only thing to do is to say yes <laughs> and then right. work out how you're going right. to do it later. I know, I love the fact that $17,000 worth of things. There's an ex-boyfriend that you want revenge, yes. not revenge, but a nice show. I'll show yeah, you. I'll show you. Love that. Speaking of which, you're going to love this. I um, had an email before asking yeah. me if I, <laughs> speaking of opportunities, but I'm like, mm, I don't know if I could say yes to this one, whether I could commentate basketball. And I said, mm, I had a bit of a panic attack when I had to do the scoring for the under 10s game <laughs> once with the arrow that you have to point in different directions. And <laughs> I don't dribble, uh, travel. 
I don't think that's an opportunity I can really take up, but you might be able to I do it. I would love to do it. Pass them my yeah, way. You'd be that'd amazing. Be great, that'd be great fun. I'm a basketball mum of many years now. I don't know how it works. I was like, <laughs> that's oh, hilarious. I don't think so. Anyway, yes. So, so Cecilia, I'm Go really on. happy to tell you that we have another review. Would you like to read it? No, yeah. You would like me to. Okay. Well, I did it last time. Well, listen. Go on. They've put a really catchy heading. Oh, I like that. Collecting the wellness. Oh. Oh, yes. Oh, look, I feel like we have a yes. marketing strategy on but our it's hands. it's also left by the Mere Mortals podcast. Oh. So it's from one podcaster to another. This is good. I know. Community. So here is what they've said. Please. A long running and great effort by Nat and Cecilia to bring wellness into everyone's life. Oh, that was a squeaky mm. everyone's. Everyone's <laughs> lives. I particularly enjoyed the episode with Brett Hill thought he had some fantastic advice on what to do when hitting rock bottom and how to handle those tough situations that life throws our way. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Good times. Something for everyone. Oh, yes. It's like a bag of mixed lollies. I also love that Mere Model podcast just knew to put five stars. That's just one other prerequisite. <laughs> it really is good. Very, very, very clever people oh, amongst us yes, in our little community. Smart, smart people. I also want to say a bit of a thank you to you and your team of peoples because we had a bit of a thing a little while ago. If you're catching up on this, uh, you know, in the future, well, you know. But we did, we went through and had a look at some of our favourite episodes and just did a bit of a flashback. And it was, it was great. It was yes. really great to actually look back and go, wow, we really covered some things and had some people. I know. Mm. It was be- it's been fun having the flashback, flashback no. week. As long um, as they keep letting us in the studio, we're all good. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I know, I was thinking today how many how many episodes are we actually at? We have to be at oh, 150, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Anyway, save Maybe our, not we that should many. save our voice for our next episode. I think at this oh, point's a good okay. time to say goodbye. All right. Until next time, we hope this episode has left you feeling happier. Healthier. And better. Listener.